0: The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So Father, we need your help and we are glad that you promise it by your Holy Spirit to open our eyes to see your son more clearly and to see the implications for our lives more clearly from this word today. So work in us what is pleasing in your sight as we look at this text together. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been talking in First Peter kind of over and over again. So what happens when you preach the book of the Bible, you have these authors who just beat the same drum. And we've been talking about how we're trying to develop this identity or this mindset of this place we are, wherever that place is in this current life, not being our home. And Chuck's alluded to it, David's prayed about it, but weeks like this, where life and death are so in front of your face, kind of moment after moment, day after day, uh, pound this truth home Experientially, even as we've seen it over and over again in our text. We've been talking about a life in this world as exiles who have our hope in Jesus and long for our true home. Peter has been trying to create a Christian identity in us as a blood-bought family. He's been over and over again, week after week, text after text, telling us what it means to be Christians. That sounds silly, right? Being a Christian is simple, believe in Jesus, but he's been trying to tell us, how are you distinctly Christian in this life? What's striking about Peter, and maybe you've noticed this, is that he doesn't place any hope ultimately in winning the culture wars. He also doesn't tell them to distance themselves from the culture. He's not about winning or about withdrawing. Instead, Peter has repeatedly reminded them of their living hope in Jesus Christ and their place in his kingdom as citizens first of heaven. In other words, he's reminded them over and over again that they're simply more than anything children of God meant to display the beauty of their king. How? By fighting their own sinful desires and by filling the places they are with beautiful deeds that reflect their king, especially in pain and persecution. Especially. That's that's why we chose this book way back when we did, not even knowing what we were choosing, really. And you have to realize that the gospel is what gave Peter this mindset, this perspective. This was a big shift in Peter's thinking. Peter was the one who when Jesus is saying, I'm going to go, I'm going to be crucified for sins, and I'm going to be raised up again, Peter's going, you'll never do that. I'll never let that happen. We will win. They will not get you. And it's no coincidence that right after that, in Matthew 16, Jesus teaches his disciples that anyone who would follow him would have to take up their cross. Imagine that kind of campaign slogan in our day. Vote Jesus, take up your cross, you're going to suffer if you choose me. Peter himself was crucified upside down later in life. In other words, what Peter's trying to get us to see in this book is that to follow Jesus will not be a life of political power in this world, but a life of following in his footsteps of suffering. Jesus was never going to win the popular vote. He was never going to overthrow Rome and give them the political power they hoped for. Instead, Jesus was going to submit to the will of his father, preach the gospel of the kingdom, and march his way to a cross to be crucified for those who were shouting to crucify him. It's a different mindset than we have. Sometimes it's hard even to relate. This is the life of in the kingdom of God with a crucified king. It's not a life that usually looks like power in this life, but a life that usually looks like weakness. The first century believers receiving this letter would have felt this coming and would have heard rumors of horrible persecution in other places. And sometimes I fear that we are a people hungry for power or control or comfort in this life. We wanna get our way more than proclaim the way that actually leads to life. We wanna get our way in this life rather than proclaim the way that leads to life. And the New Testament just won't let you escape it. If you're really all in with Jesus, you are all in with the crucified king. If you're all in with Jesus, you must be ready to fellowship in his sufferings. If you're all in with Jesus, you must be ready to be viewed as weak and foolish for the sake of your king. If we will share in the victory of Christ, and we will, we must share in the weakness of Christ, in the suffering of Christ. And it's not a comfortable place to be, which is why we rail against it. But it is the path of life in Jesus Christ. And Peter is trying with all his might, text after text after text, to get these believers ready for it. To help them stand when it comes, knowing it is coming. So with that backdrop, let's dive into our text. Point number one is the mind and manner of Jesus So let's review where we're going because this is a a therefore. We're coming out of our text from last week. Last week we saw that Christ suffered once for all. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. He took our place. He submitted to the Father's will and paid for us to be in the family of God by his blood. He was tempted in every way we are yet without sin. He obeyed his Father and endured suffering all the way to the point of a criminal's death on a cross. And Peter tells us that we're to have the same mind and same manner of Christ. Look at verse 1. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Christ came to earth to suffer, chose suffering for us. And Peter calls us to arm ourselves, to equip ourselves with that kind of thinking. Equip yourself with that same way of thinking. In other words, follow Christ in his mindset of suffering. So you have to ask, what does that mean? What does it look like? What was Christ's mindset in suffering. Well, listen to Mark chapter 14, verses 35 to 36. This is Jesus in the garden, preparing for this moment of suffering. We get a picture into what his mindset is when he thinks about suffering. It says, in going a little farther, he fell on the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. If we are to prepare ourselves with a mind ready to suffer in the footsteps of Jesus, we do it by remembering we have a Father who loves us and always calls us to what is best for us. A father who always loves us and calls us to what is best for us. Notice the relational component here. I mean, I don't know how to tell you to be equipped for suffering than you've, you've got to be in the word. You've got to spend time in prayer. How was Jesus able to do this? Well, he had this relationship before the foundation of the world with his father in eternity, knowing who he was, knowing his goodness, knowing his plan, this complete trust, this complete love. So you could say, I know you. I know you're always going to do what's best. So not what I would will but what your will would be be done the commands of our father are always meant to lead us into the joy of fellowship with him and the joy of true life in him this is why regular time in the word of God and prayer is so important how will we know the will of God or fellowship with God if we don't spend any time with God how close are you with people that you never spend time with How are you gonna walk through suffering with someone you don't even know? How can we have this mindset if we spend more time digesting a million other things before we pursue knowing the heart of our Father? I got an email uh, Friday or Saturday from someone who said, we've been spending more time in the Word and prayer, been going on more walks, enjoying creation, been doing Friday fast with you, been trying to memorize the Bible, been staying off of social media, and oh, we feel so free. It's true, right? I mean, some people have said, You just hate Facebook. And I'm like, Kind of. <laughs> because of the, all the things it robbed, because of the attention span it's teaching us to have, because of the way it's teaching us to be distracted from the main things. I don't hate Facebook. I hate when it does that. I hate when it divides the church. <laughs> I hate all the ways we give ourselves to it instead of Jesus. And notice that this kind of mindset preparing for suffering as we submit to the Father's will, as we lean into our Father causes us to break patterns of sin. It says, has ceased from sin. Now Peter's not saying we're gonna be perfect. He's saying there will be a new mindset that forsakes sin even if it means suffering. Forsake sin to do the Father's will, even if it means suffering, because what we long for most is to obey and fellowship with our Father. I think Peter explains his point further in verse 2. So look at verse 2 with me. What does it mean to cease from sin? It means to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. The mind that prepares itself in the word and prayer to be ready to suffer with Christ leads to a manner of life that forsakes the former passions of the flesh and instead lives for the will of God. This kind of mindset is one that flows from a new people with new taste buds. Remember this section that we're in, 2.11 to 4.11, talking about how we live in this world, we keep saying is connected to a root. We're a new people with new taste buds. And Peter's saying, that's who you are. That's what all of chapter two was about. And now he's saying, how do you be who you are in the world? How do you live out who you are? How do you grow into who you are? How did we become a new people with new tastes and new power to walk in new life? All the way back to chapter one, we were born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. We're a people who hope in our future inheritance of full joy not in our little kingdoms of passing pleasure here on earth. We're a people who can rejoice with joy inexpressible and filled with glory even in trials because we have a sure, living hope in Jesus Christ and a loving, always with us Father who promises to bring us home. That's been awakened in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. New taste buds, new longings, a new people, a holy nation. This new identity knows by the power of the Spirit that its true home now is with Jesus. And so we want to spend all our time with him. We want to spend all our time with him. Look at verse three. The time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Peter's saying didn't you spend enough time doing that? And I don't think this matters if you got saved when you were 7 or 70. Like, how much time is enough to live doing what you were never made to do, that is, rejecting and despising your Creator? How much time is enough to spend all of your life worshiping and loving and leaning into a relationship with your Creator? It doesn't matter if you were saved at 7. If you're a kid in here, I hope you love Jesus. At age seven, if you're in here and you're 70, you don't know yet Jesus. I hope you come and know him now, but however old you were when you came to know Jesus, the time is past for giving in to sin. Don't be young and foolish like I was and go, Well, I'll I'll get serious with Jesus in a few years. Get serious with Jesus next week. Peter's saying the time is past. If this past week has made anything clear to us, it's that this life is short. It's a breath. We are made in the image of God to live in fellowship with God and spend our lives making much of him. Jesus has purchased us and brought us back into fellowship with God. We've been set apart by the Holy Spirit as a holy nation. Why would we give another second to the slavery Jesus paid to set us free from? Why would we do that? But we do. Do it all the time. Sometimes we even like settle into it like yeah, it's just who I am. I'm always gonna struggle with this, it's just who I am. This is the human condition we all fight. Right, we can look at the Bible and it teaches us about ourselves. Who would be set free from slavery for hundreds of years and then asked to go back to their captors the first time things don't go right? A whole people, its madness. That's the human heart. Israel is meant to show us what goes on in our hearts all the time. It's easier sometimes to be comfortable in our bondage than live radically for God in our freedom. Some of you are terrified to walk out of your sinful shadows. It's going to be hard. It's going to mean life difference. It's going to mean confession. It's going to mean transparency. It's going to mean forsaking other things. The time is past for running back to the dirty well of your old sin. Here's what Peter says about it in 2 Peter, fairly graphically. He says in 2 Peter 2.22, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. He's not, he's talking about the church, people in the church. I know, so hear, hear mercy here, I know. It's more comfortable living in the broken patterns of your heart. I know you feel safe there. Or maybe you just think, I'll I'll deal with that in a week or two or three, right? It's always next week. It's always tomorrow. I know you're used to that late night comfort food of sin that makes you feel better for a moment. I know that, right? I've made Taco Bell runs that I know I shouldn't. I know it's scary to simply confess your sin, walk into the light, and start walking in new power. I know that. But hear me, hear Peter. Life is short. Today is the day. Today is the day. The time is past for doing those things. The time that you've done those things, that's enough time. It suffices. The time is past for living like you have no new gospel power. My goodness, you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. The fullness of God is filling you. You have new power to walk in new ways. Yes, total depravity, but we have the Holy Spirit. The time has passed. The time has passed for pretending like it's better to give into your lust and your anger and your bitterness and your gossip and your binge eating and your pride-told posturing rather than suffer through some temptation with Jesus and walk with him into freedom. The time is past for living for power and prestige and popularity and approval and money and control and comfort instead of wanting the father's will and walking with Jesus. If you're here and you're walking in patterns of decades long sin, the time is past. You have the Holy Spirit. Walk in new freedom. Confess your sins, right? It's finished. He paid for it. Walk into the light that he's purchased for you. You have been born again to a living hope. And that's not only for the areas of your life that you're doing well in. Right? Once you had not received mercy. Now you have received mercy. Walk in mercy. Mercy. Once you were not a people, now you are a people, which means God is invested in you. You will not shake the guilt by doing better for a couple weeks. You will not shake the shame by doing better for a couple weeks. You will only forsake that as you come to Jesus, because he's not going to let you go. He's not going to leave you comfortable. He sees you, and he's going to press into your heart. to just give in. Come to him. The time has passed. You are part of a holy nation. And to proclaim the excellencies of the one who purchased you and promises you eternity with him. Walk in your calling. That's who you are. You're not only that 20 years into your Christian life when all of a sudden you've reached some maturity, gotten some raise, and somehow figured out what to do with your kids or something. You're that right now. Life is short. It's all about Jesus. He saved you. He caused you to be born again. Why spend another moment toying around with sin that just wants to steal true life and joy from you? Don't believe the lie of the devil that it's easier to stay hidden. It's easier to keep going in that direction. Walk into the light. Confess. Repent. And ask for help to, help to live in the mind and manner of Christ. Point number two, last two are shorter, I promise. Verse four, it says with respect to this, to this new mind, to this new manner, this new life, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So as you follow Jesus, with your eyes fixed on an eternal inheritance with him, as we seek to live for his kingdom, God doesn't just take you up out of this world, you know, just to get to live in your own little Christian utopia, right? Even though this pandemic is real and we kind of like that. Instead, you will constantly bump up against the kingdom of this world, right? They're not going to understand you. They're just not going to understand you. Their mindset is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. That's the mindset of the world. In other words, the world lives by its mantra of living for whatever brings pleasure in the moment because this moment is all they have. All they have is this life. There's, there's no eternal perspective. There's no thoughts of a righteous God they're sinning against that they're going to stand before. There's no thoughts of a place with full joy and pleasures forevermore for those who trust in Jesus as their deepest pleasure. And so there's this completely different mindset. It, it boggles my mind how often Christians are confused that the world doesn't get them. Do we understand the fundamental foundational thing that has changed? Which is everything. (laughs) An old heart gone, a new heart put in. Completely different hope, completely different joy, completely different mission, completely different power. It's not a mindset in the world to suffer and do the Father's will. It's a mindset of instant gratification and doing their own will. And as you live in a completely different manner from a completely different mindset or what is sometimes called today a worldview, they will malign you. It's not new. They mocked Jesus. They mocked followers of Jesus in the first century. First Corinthians 15 says, for Jews demand signs, Greek seeks wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Well, how was that received? A stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. It means they think you're stupid. Think you're foolish, think you don't make any sense. A way of life abstaining from instant gratifications for the sake of following a crucified king makes no sense to a world living for itself with no eternal perspective. And a mindset that calls their pursuit of instant gratification sin against a holy God and then calls them to repent is not only different but offensive. Imagine the mindset they're coming from and you say, well, you're a sinner. You need to repent before a holy God. The mindset of the world, when it comes in contact with the mindset of the Christian, will lead to maligning of the Christian. It's how it's always been and it's how it always will be. We're living in a time where the problems of the world are rising and becoming more obvious and the world's Thought that the church could have anything to say about it is declining. What do you think is going to happen as we speak of our king? So we have to be prepared from aligning. We have to be prepared to not assimilate or avoid or become aggressive but instead engage with courageous humility that we see in Jesus and fill this place with beautiful deeds that point to him all while entrusting ourselves to a faithful creator like Jesus did. The mindset of the world will ultimately lead to the maligning of Christians. So don't act surprised when it comes. Don't get angry or fearful when that happens. Be ready. And then engage with humble, courageous, and compassionate truth and love that remembers that the difference between you and them is that you've been born again to a living hope and no one births themselves. That's the difference. Point number three, the might and mercy of God. We're not to be an angry people shaking our fists and demanding our rights. We don't follow the world and demanding a sort of man-made justice for ourselves. Rather, we know we're sinners saved by grace and our God will bring forth ultimate justice by pouring out his wrath for sin, either in eternity, in hell for all those who reject Jesus or on the cross of Christ for those who reject trust in Jesus and we're ready for that day we want other people to be ready for that day with us that's what verse five says but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead so one way as Christians new mindset new identity living for Christ clashing against a world with a different mindset living for different things one of the ways that we fight against a heart that wants to defend ourselves, that wants to fight back, that wants to get angry, is we remember that they will stand before the might of our God. So perhaps, perhaps the world would say, here's the kind of mindset I think Peter's responding to. The world would probably say to Christians, what good is your Christian faith? You abstain from things in this life, good for you, and then we die. Right, congratulations, you robbed yourself of pleasure. But the Christian answer is, what you don't understand is that God is ready to judge the living and the dead. You're gonna face him someday. Don't thumb your nose at him now because he will be there to judge you on the day you die. And I'm not saying that in arrogance. My only hope for that day is that he has poured out his wrath for for me on Jesus And it's that kind of confidence in the might of God to bring about his justice that leads us to understand how amazing the mercy of God is that we see in verse six. I want to read you the way I think it should be translated. I don't want to do that a lot. Your English Bibles are awesome, but once in a while as I'm studying I go, I'd like this better and I think it matters. So here's how I think verse six should be translated. This is why the gospel is preached to those who are dead that though judged in the flesh according to people, meaning humans are gonna judge you while you're here, they're gonna make decisions about you, they might live in the spirit according to God. In other words, it's setting up a contrast as God is ultimate judge, and humans here judging you, and that's pointing you to your hope. Which judge are you gonna care about? Where do you wanna put your hope? I join most commentators in thinking this verse is talking about how the gospel was preached to some people who have since died. In other words, it's talking about those who heard the gospel, believed, and then they died. In other words, here's what a mindset of instant gratification would say. Here's what Peter's getting at. They would say, who cares about Jesus? We all die get pleasure now eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die and a Christian would say no you're so wrong you're missing it by so much those who believe the gospel are judged in this world by men but they actually live in the spirit according to God after they die this is parallel with last week where we saw Jesus was made alive in the spirit Meaning he had a new glorified spiritual body that would never die again as do Christians who believe the gospel. Read 1 Corinthians 15. We don't ultimately die. We're not giving up worldly pleasures for nothing. We're giving up worldly pleasures for ultimate joy and ultimate life in Christ forever. Like the math is simple for Christians who see Jesus. 80, 90 years of sin or eternity. (laughs) with full pleasures forevermore. So the Christian responds to that kind of worldview and says, you can judge me now according to your worldview. Judgments of man are always changing. There's always a new trend. There's nothing new under the sun. Judge me now according to your worldview. You can live for this short moment if you want to, but I'm telling you, judgment is coming soon and I will rise again to new life forever. And the Christian who knows their salvation, like the good Calvinist who believes in Tulip, who believes in the doctrines of grace, does not say this boastfully. We boast only in Christ. And so we recognize that the difference between us and them is simply mercy. And just as we are those who heard this gospel preached and believe, we plead with them to believe the gospel. We engage with them with courage and humility and compassion and love for the sake of Christ and the good of their souls. God is mighty and will judge all those who don't believe. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about if the world gets it enough. You don't have to shake your fist and say, don't you get it? God will judge all who don't believe. But God is also merciful and has sent his son to die on the cross to save sinners like us who then, by some strange miracle, get the privilege of turning and proclaiming that good news to other sinners. So while we expect a mindset clash and a clash of how we live our lives in this world, we don't consider this an us against them mission. No one should have that mindset. It is never us against them. Like they're the boogeyman out there. Unless you want to say you were a boogeyman. Instead, we consider this an us for Christ and an us for the world mission. We commend Christ to a lost and dying world. We commend Christ with confidence and humility, sharing in the suffering of Christ gladly because it means we share in the abundant life of Christ. We leave our sin behind We pray people see our good deeds, ask us for a reason for the hope that's in us and glorify our Father in heaven. And if they don't and if they malign us, then we bless those who curse us because nothing is ultimately up for grabs as children of the king. Do you see the kind of person Peter's trying to create? Don't you wanna live in that kind of freedom? Don't you wanna live in that kind of hope? Don't you wanna live in that kind of mission rather than live and die by the next news cycle? Peter's creating the kind of person that will stand through everything because they're willing to suffer with Christ. So our application, a life of abundance in Christ. In the beginning, we talked about a life of weakness with Jesus. And as we prepare our minds to suffer and submit to the will of our Father, we recognize that our mindset and our manner will clash with the world it will likely bring maligning and mocking. But sometimes we can have this mindset well, that that means that the good of being a Christian only comes in eternity. And I want to remind you, remind myself that the commands of Christ are meant to lead us into fellowship with Christ and the life of Christ now, right now. When we give up the way of the world, leave our sin behind, and instead take up our cross and follow Jesus, living in fellowship with him in the blood-bought family of God, we will find true joy. We will find true peace. We will find true life. We will find all that we were looking for before we found him. Here's what Jesus says. "So one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. John ten ten. 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life And have it abundantly. What a promise from Jesus. This path of walking with Jesus in his suffering means that we also get to walk with Jesus in his victory. But what we don't define that victory in is cultural capital, political power, or even comfortable lives. If we orient ourselves to that kind of victory, like that's what it means to be victorious as a Christian then i this echo Paul and say, we are a people most to be pitied. Because that's not coming. Instead, we have sure victory. Right? We've seen it in this book. Sure victory that he is reigning at the right hand of God right now, like we saw last week. And we are told in Ephesians that we're seated with him in the heavenly places right now. We are hidden with Christ in God. Christ has gone to prepare a place for us, but until then, he's come and made his home in us. We have fellowship with him now. We drink from the fountain of life right now and have rivers of living water flow out of us right now. He leads us to green pastures and still waters right now. He restores our souls now. He's with us in the valley of the shadow of death now. He pursues us with goodness and mercy all the days of our life now. Not like waiting around for the good stuff of Christianity. Yes, it's going to get infinitely better, but mainly because our own sin is gone. We count all else as lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus now. This life of suffering with Christ is the only true life of abundance. It's the only life living in accord with reality. Knowing Jesus, seeing him, living this way is the only worldview that actually accords with what's real. It's the only life living in the light and not the darkness. It's the only life where we find joys deep enough and beauty big enough to satisfy our restless souls. Why do you travel to go see the Grand Canyon? Your heart is longing for something big enough to satisfy what only God can. It's the only life that gets us back to doing what we were made to do, which is glorify God by enjoying him forever. We enjoy Jesus in his suffering, and we enjoy him in his ultimate victory. He came that we might have life and have it abundantly, and that is always true for the Christian because Christ has died once for all and brought us to God. We are his, and he is ours, bought with the precious blood of Christ. So in this moment, here's my my call to you. Would you in this moment confess sin? Today is the day of salvation. The time has passed. It suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. If you're in this room right now, if you're out in the commons, if you're at home, I've been praying all week that the Lord would make this a moment of walking into the light, of walking into freedom, confessing sin and saying enough is enough. Would you confess and would you hope again in the shed blood of Jesus Christ? An exercise I try to do in my own heart is I I try to go, am I hoping in Jesus? And I think about my worries, I think about my anxieties, and I think about my fears, and I think about my circumstances, I think about the thing I'm about to do and I start going, "What, what am I hoping in? Is it really Jesus? Is my deepest identity really that I've been paid for? I'm a child of God. Is that where I'm resting? Is that where I'm hoping? Is that where I'm living? Or am I being caught up into these other things that are important but so, so distantly important <laughs> compared to those? And if you've confessed your sins and if you set your hope on Jesus again, then you walk again in the abundant life of fellowship with and obedience to your king, knowing maligning is coming and knowing that like your savior, armed with the mindset to suffer, you are ready to give your life for those who would malign you. Let me pray. Father, we love, we love your word. It's always timely. It's always relevant and you're always shaping our hearts through it by your spirit so I pray that as we as we sing together now that we'd be singing from a place of remembering who we are in Christ we'd be singing from a place of confessed sin we'd be singing from a place of arming ourselves the mindset to suffer we'd be singing from a place of all of our hope in you and that you would now even by your spirit Help us worship you in spirit and in truth. Empower our singing now from hearts that are longing for more of you, more hope in you, less hope in the world, more holiness and fellowship, less sin, all because of the finished work of Christ, all because of mercy, all because we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We pray these things in his name. Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ.